Thank you, Brennan. I must confess that um, <clears throat> these last two passages have, like, or these last two contrasts that we have been looking at on the Sermon on the Mount, where the Lord says, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, or to fill it full of meaning. And we know the entire Sermon on the Mount is about inner character, not about outward action. It's about who God is and who we are as a result. And, of course, we know that he begins with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a person who's surrendered and said, Lord, not my will, but thine. Uh, I have uh, nothing to offer you. You have everything. And, of course, as a result of that, we mourn uh, for our sin. We repent of our sin. And then, as a result, there's a hunger because there's a new life. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's all within. And then, of course, the rest of the Beatitudes deal with uh, uh, our peacemaking and other things that uh, deal with the social aspects of what happens to us within. Then we see the Lord talked about, uh, he said, we are the light of the world. Uh, The light shines in the darkness and uh, the darkness doesn't comprehend it. So we have a message to give to a lost and dying world. But then, of course, the Lord, in his introduction, so it came to verses um, 17 through 20, and he said, this is where he said that uh, I have come not to destroy, but to fill the law full of meaning. Then he gives six different contrasts, and he does this throughout the, the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, he'll do it again in chapter 6 when he deals with the Pharisees. He'll say, when you pray, don't pray as the Pharisees. And so he's contradicting everything that the Pharisees and everything that Jews thought proper religion was. Proper religion is not, or proper is not uh, uh, worship God by outward circumstance. God wants our heart. God wants the inner being. And so we see that uh, these things, he goes, hey, don't. He says, you've heard that's been said. You've heard that's been said. Most of those are either direct quotes out of the Old Testament or their rabbinical teachings that... Uh, the rabbis and the Pharisees over the years now have twisted so that they can meet the standards of the law. None of us can meet the standards of the law. We cannot live by the Ten Commandments. I, for instance, uh, I've always, I've, um, I'll ask someone, oh, I, I live by the Ten Commandments. I say, well, have you ever lied before? And very few people say no. And the ones who say no are lying. So, you know, so it's one of those things where we've all got those problems. How are you doing today? Fine. You feel horrible. You know, that's a lie. So, uh, so we, we lie many times and don't even think about it. And so how can I know if my good can outweigh my bad when I don't even know how, my ba- how bad my bad is? And so we see that now the Lord is coming with this, these outward forms of, of, of law that uh, the Pharisees have wrapped themselves in. And they said, well, you're not supposed to, hate, to uh, be angry. But, you know, it's hard to be angry in certain circumstances or if, toward your brother and to hold grudges. Uh, you're not supposed to commit adultery. But, you know, there again, uh, more, uh, there's much more uh, guilt on the woman than there is the man. And uh, a perfect example of that was when they brought the woman taken in adultery in the act. You know, and there, where was the man? And so we see just their per- total perversion of uh, 
the whole idea of thou shalt not commit adultery and how that they tried to bring it so that man could work around it so he could be righteous. And then about divorce and how they treated women. And God brought women right back up and they said, you don't treat women that way about oaths. And, uh, well, I, I'm going to lie a little bit and I'll just swear by the temple rather than by God or whatever, you know. And so, again, lying was, you know, given an out. And then we see also the, the second mile or the, the whole passage there, which is a very difficult passage because, again, we see that the Lord set forth the Mosaic law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And uh, he's talking about there that the punishment doesn't exceed the crime. In other words, if you put a person's eye out or in a fight or whatever, you, then the person who puts the eye out, you don't kill them. No, it's uh, they at uh, something of equal value. And you get into all the different laws that uh, Moses talked about there, about if you put an eye out of a slave, then you get to put yours out. No, you'd have to let him free. If you abuse that slave and the judge says he's abused, then he gets to go free. So even slaves had rights uh, in the Old Testament. And, and, and so we see that God dealt with it in those areas. But... Um, what the Jews, what the Pharisees had done was say, no, uh, we, we're not talking about, uh, about government doing the judging. And that's what the whole idea of the law was set up for. The Lord gave Moses a year to set up the government and the laws of Israel on Mount Sinai. And these were the things that were uh, rules for the judges. And uh, even about the ox, if the ox gores someone and so forth, uh, the different uh, different. Uh, equal remunerations of the law and so forth were all there. And so we see that God set all that up. But what the Pharisee has done is say, well, this gives me an out because eye for an eye means that I can hold a grudge, that I can administer justice. And the Lord had no, no plan for that. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And the Lord sets up governments and so forth for that. And so we see that all these things that were totally manipulated by the Pharisees so that they could at least think that they had met some stipulation of the law and therefore they were righteous. And so the contrast, and now we see this last contrast, which is the most difficult of all because every one of us have problems with this, where he says, you have heard this been said that you shall love your enemies. Again, we get into the word agape, Agape, the word love, the idea of giving love. New Testament love is giving love. It is working love. It's a work of, it's a work of faith. It is a labor of love. For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only begotten son. So we see that love does something. Faith does something. Faith works. Love works. It changes. What's from on the inside is going to come out. And so as a man walks by faith and not by sight, it changes his whole path. When a man walks by love, it changes his whole attitude. And so we see that these are things that God tells us that we're to do. But the Pharisee and their uh, self-righteousness said, well, we can't hate our enemies because after all, the, the uh, Israelites, they invaded the Canaanites and destroyed them and they were God's enemies and so God's, uh, Israel's enemies are my enemies. 
And so they said, well, I can hate my enemies. Well, the Lord actually did say in Leviticus uh, 19.18, he did say that uh, you shall not take vengeance of any against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that was a big question throughout the New Testament. Who's my neighbor? And in fact, the Lord's going to answer that later on with the Samaritan. But, uh, but, who's my, but I shall love my neighbor as myself. But what they did, again, by manipulating Scripture was that they would say that, well, that doesn't mean that I've got to love my enemy. And my enemy is a Gentile. My enemy is a Samaritan. My enemy is uh, anybody who, did, especially those turncoat publicans or tax collectors who are Jews, but they are employed by the Roman government to exact taxes from me. You've got to hate those people. And, of course, God says no. He says, uh, in fact, in the book of Leviticus, uh, in the chapter 19, he says, he tells them even about the stranger that lives within the borders of Israel. They were to love their strangers, their foreigners. They were to to care for those. If a, if a foreigner's ox fell in the ditch, then you were to help him to get it out. I mean, that was you were to love your enemy. Now, of course, enemies go to war and so forth, and, but that's government. That's not personal. But when it comes to personal uh, attitudes, we are to love our neighbor and, as ourselves. And who is our neighbor? Anybody. And then, of course, uh, so these, there's other passages in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that deal with us loving or for the Jew to love their enemy or to love those who are foreign to the Gentiles. Let's put it that way. They were to love the Gentiles, and they were to treat them fairly. And the Jews had a very way, way the rabbis had a very easy way, a very way of manipulating that to kind of leave that out because, after all, that's a little hard to do. Folks, that is the hardest thing to do. One thing, to love people who care for you. But it's another thing for us to love those who don't care for us. And we see now in the introduction there, Jesus is slowly introducing the personal relationship with God the Father. He has already mentioned God the Father three times. And he's going to really bring it out in chapter 6. And the first time in the Bible where we are instructed to pray to our Father is in the Lord's Prayer. And so we see that new, in the Old Testament, we see, you never see Moses, you never see David, you never see Elijah, any of them praying to God the Father. And so we see a whole new aspect of the person and the relationship of who who God is. And one of the things we see today is that uh, fatherhood is under attack. In fact, it's been destroyed just about in America. And uh, one of the things that psychologists tell us, and it's pretty evident throughout, is that, throughout just society, is that children get uh, many of their aspects or their, uh, they form their ideas of who God is from their fathers. And so we see that's one reason God says that he, when he heals the land and he brings revival to the land and he, in the last passage of the Old Testament, they will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And one of the sad things about uh, the declension of America is fatherhood is for sale. I mean, the father, father has been done away with. And so we need to get back to the idea 
of who God is, that he's a father, and he's a father to them, even a father to the fatherless. And so as we raise up father, then we, we create, or the father, we, we create a standard of what other men can be as a loving father to their own children. And so we see that he is talking <coughs> about, and he's going to really bring this out in chapter uh, five or chapter six. But of course, the Lord tells us, to as many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave you the power, the authority, to be called children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Why? Because, folks, we have the authority to be called children of, of God. Then who is our father? God the Father. And we need, and we've, back years ago, for decades, it's been said the neglected person of the Godhead was the Holy Spirit. I really believe that the neglected uh, person of the Godhead is God the Father because we skip right over him so many times, even in our statement of faith, we skip right over him and go right into who Jesus Christ is. But then again, it's easy to do that because Jesus says that when you glorify me, you glorify glorify my Father. So again, when we please our, our Savior, we please our Father. But we do need to know our Savior, and we need to know how that Jesus Christ said, I do all things to do what? To please my Father. And that's the one thing I wanted to do as a parent, was to learn how to get my children not to fear me in the sense that they, that they, they were afraid of punishment, but they feared me because they didn't want to disappoint me. And they wanted to please me. Children have a natural tendency to want to please. And I wanted to play on that with them. Because as they get older and they start having all the issues of life with, uh, with, uh, with peer pressures and everything, if they've got someone that's very influential in their life that they do not want to displease, then it becomes, and I have seen this, and the one thing that I, I noticed uh, when I was growing up, um, I was kind of left alone as a and but I noticed the kids who uh, that they did not and I think of a couple of men I, I won't but uh, who they we were about ready to do something wrong as I think of a, one time as a group of football players we were together outside of um, we were over at the beach having a good time and the group wanted to do things wrong but there were a couple of guys said, I'm not going to do it. And at the time, I was thinking, oh, because they're, because they're sissies, they don't want to displease their father. But now I look back on it and say, that's the best thing that ever happened to me to be around those guys because of their fathers. It's kind of interesting how that is. Now, with my dad, I was scared to death. I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to get in trouble because <laughs> I got in trouble with the policeman. I got in trouble. So that kept me out of a lot of trouble, too. But, you know, the idea of I, I wanted my children to want to please me and to have a relationship with me. And praise God, that worked uh, quite well. Uh, I could always look back like any father can, and or any mother can, and say, what a failure I was here, what a failure I was there. But by the grace of God, I did the best I could, you know, but at least growing in the Lord. But here we see that uh, we need to really find, and we need to understand a loving, caring father, and that we love him so much that when enemies come, even our enemies, and I'm not there yet, folks, 
when somebody does me wrong, I mean, I'm still like uh, I'm still a very competitive person. I've said many times, if I see two, I'm so competitive that if I see two ants wrestling on the sidewalk, I'll get down on my knees and uh, hands and knees and and uh, root for one of them. You know, I'm just that type. I mean, and you, and if you try to put me down, I mean, that second born in me just wants to say, I'll bring you down with me, or what? That's that's nature. And so that's one of my big battles, and that is why it is, like I said, this is one of the hardest passages in the whole Bible to preach. Because the way I treat other people, including my enemies, is going to depend on my relationship with God, my Father. And so we see that if I love him with all my heart, as we see that last passage there, he tells me I'm going to love him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my being. I mean, I mean, if I could love him like that, then the things of earth will grow what strangely dim because I care more about him than I care about anything else. But unfortunately, I get down in the world and I'm they're mixing, and I forget about my father at times. I wish I didn't. But... Uh, confess our sins one to another. Aren't we like that? Isn't it easy to hold a grudge? Isn't it easy to hate those who hate you? Isn't it easy to really, once somebody puts you down to, uh, oh, I just wish I had the right word at the right time to say back to them, or whatever. And so we see that the Lord is saying here, you've heard that has been said, that you're to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say love, that's a giving type of love your enemies, um, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you. Now, of course, the rabbis, uh, they came along and they said, well, no, it's eye for an eye. And here we see the Lord is saying, no, it's not an eye for an eye. It is a love for those who do us wrong. I think of missionaries had to learn that. And Hudson Taylor is a great missionary study. If you ever want to read a biography of a great missionary, read Hudson Taylor. He left England back in the days of sailing ship, and when they uh, sailing ships, and when he left, he knew that he might not ever come back. He and his wife Maria went there, and they suffered all kinds of harm. And being uh, being Englishmen in a time when Englishmen were going over to China and trying to treat the Chinese as inferior. The Chinese really resented English or Europeans altogether. And Hudson Taylor decided that he was going to be like the Chinese. And he dressed like the Chinese. He learned their language. He loved them. He put up with all their barbs. They hated him and because he was European, but they saw the love of Christ in him. And he won thousands of Chinese to the Lord because he would not respond like other Englishmen, you, you hurt me and I'll bring the English government down on top of you. I mean, they just did all those type things because they were superior. But here you have a, a man who comes in and says, I'll dress like you dress, I'll eat what you eat, I'll do what you do, everything except I'm not going to worship your religion, I'm going to show you who Jesus Christ is. And I think of a missionary named Roland Simeonson. We supported him back in my first ministry. And Roland Simeonson's parents were kicked out of China 
1949 when the communists took over. And they left that area where had been influenced a few hundred years before, a couple of generations before that uh, Hudson Taylor had been. And they were able to go back. They left in 1949 when, uh, Hudson, when uh, Roland Simeonson, who's probably with the Lord now, was just a child. But he still remembered it. He was old enough to remember the situation. And he was able to go back in the 1980s when Nixon opened up China. And uh, now three decades later, he was able to go in and see many of the survivors. The churches had been converted into all kinds of communist buildings or whatever. Uh, but they were able to meet with people who their, his father had won to the Lord and the faithfulness and the love that they had. But the one person that kept coming back to them, and here we're talking about 1880s, and now it's the 1980s, but the one person that many of the people in that province where Simeonson was, the one person that they kept coming up 100 years later was Hudson Taylor and his love for the Chinese. Folks, that's the type of love we want to have. I mean, to endure the, the hatred of the world. And the Lord Jesus says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. And so we see that, uh, that the fulfillment of the law, Jesus defined the neighbors as human beings. He said that uh, this came up in the book of Luke. The Lord's teaching something, and then someone yells out from the crowd, Lord, uh, who is our neighbor? And the Lord goes right into the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, the Samaritans were the natural enemies of the Jews. To that, and in fact, the Jews hated the Samaritans so much. So the Samaritans were a mixed race. They were the ones when the Assyrians conquered northern Israel, then they moved a lot of the people out, and they moved a lot of Gentiles in. And the Gentiles and the Jews married together, and they became what the Jews considered a Mongol race. <clears throat> and they were hated. And in fact, you, if you were going to go from Galilee to Jerusalem or Jerusalem to Galilee, you would go down to Jericho and go on the east side of the Jordan and then back, cross back over to the west whenever you got past, when you got north of Samaria. That's how much they hated the Samaritans. But here we see the Samaritan, if you study the story there, the Samaritan was on his road from Jerusalem. He went down to Jericho. Uh, and he met a, a fella who had a complete, didn't tell us, tell us, the Lord said, didn't tell us where he was, Jew or Gentile. But you remember the priest went by and didn't do anything. The Levite went by and didn't do anything. But then the Samaritan came by and picked him up, dressed his wounds, paid for his motel and said, if there's anything else, oh, I'll be coming back through. Folks, that's the idea of who our neighbor is. You know, it's very easy to ignore um, our neighbor. Our neighbor sometimes is that person that's on the line that you've been on for five minutes or ten minutes waiting on that person to talk to about some problem you have, and this is the fourth person you have to talk to, and you're still uh, not getting any answers. Anybody have a neighbor like that? You've had neighbors like that, right? I remember one time I was trying to buy my daughter a computer and uh, for college, 
and I was shipping it to her and so forth and uh, and uh, things didn't get didn't go right and uh, and uh, anyway to make a long story short after about three or four people talking with and not getting anywhere I really let the lady I just let her know how frustrated I was but you know the spirit of God really convicted me and I called her up I mean I had to go back through the numbers again wait and I got the and I because she'd give me her name so I'd called and asked for the lady and I apologized to her for being so mean to her and she couldn't believe it you know <laughs> who are you you know but there again you know, she was my neighbor and how do I treat neighbors I mean she just worked there she couldn't help it you know why should I you know uh, a nasty old guy call her up and because she was probably as confused as anybody else so you know it wasn't her problem it was the company's problem and so so many times you know the uh, the person that you're dealing with at the uh, checkout counter or at the service desk or whatever else. They don't always have all the answers. And folks, it's so easy to get upset and angry, isn't it? It's so easy to get angry and upset with your neighbor who lives right next to you. But how do we, how do we <clears throat> deal with these things, not in anger, but in love? And, and many of us can, have had problems with different uh, different stages of life. We've got bosses. We have other people. How do you deal with people who treat you or intentionally treat you wrong? And there again, is your God so big? Is God the Father so prevalent in your life that he is so important that it doesn't really matter what everybody else does if they don't like you? And do you, are you going to do right because you're afraid that you're going to disappoint your father? rather than you're going to go along with the crowd and do things that are natural. Folks, that is the whole gist of this message. This is the whole gist of what Jesus is saying, that we love God so much, we love our Father so much, that we have such a personal relationship with Him, that we want to please Him more than anything else in the world. And as a result, we're going to try to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we see that, uh, that the Lord is, he defines neighbors as fellow humans and to love and to bless and to do good and to pray for our enemies is to be like our Father who's in heaven. Now, do you remember our Lord Jesus? What did he do at the cross? He prayed for the very people who put him there. He said, Father, forgive them for they what? Know not what they do. And the very first person saved on the cross was the thief next to him. But the second person saved at the cross was the centurion who was in charge of putting him there. Remember, he bows and said, surely this is the Son of God. And so we see that uh, God so loved the world that he gave. And it's a total giving and it's a it's a, a caring and a giving uh, life. It's a labor of love. And by the way, the fruit of the Spirit is love, isn't it? And the Lord says, God has not given us a spirit of, of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He tells us also in uh, John, uh, 1 John 4.18, he says, Perfect love casts out fear. And folks, there's a lot of reasons to fear today, isn't there? 
So again, do I love my Lord so much? And if the fruit of the Spirit is love, and by the way, whenever you see lists in the Bible like that, and you notice the, the verb is, is singular. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, and everything else under there falls under what love is, or as a result of love. If love, and if I have love of the Lord, then there's going to be a joy of the Lord in my heart. There's going to be peace, not fear. And then as a result of that, the rest of them are social. I'm going to be, uh, there's going to be love, long-suffering. And by the way, if you, look at, um, if you look at Galatians 5, where the Lord says the Spirit of the Lord, the, 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 uh, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, then if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, it defines love the same way. Love uh, suffereth long and is kind. Isn't it interesting? The first thing it begins with is the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And so we see that they, they tie together. And so the whole idea of the Lord of being filled with the Spirit is to be filled with love, to be filled with the love of God in our hearts so much that this love overcomes anything that the world can do to us and that we can love the person not because we don't wrestle against that person. We wrestle against the person who controls him. And that's Satan and all of the adversaries. And can we look at it that way? Now, we're not talking about be passive. We're not talking about, oh, you love your neighbor in spite of the fact that he comes over and slaps your kid. No, we're not talking about that. Uh, no, the Lord is not saying it's passive resistance like we talked about last week, Gandhi and all those people. No, uh, but there is a love that we have personally for those even who have done us wrong. And can we love them in spite of, spite of what they say about us? Can we love them in spite of what they do to us? Can we love that parent who mistreated us? Can we love that person? And we get into all these victimizations today. Uh, that person who... We're gonna, if you let it, it'll mark your life if you're going to hate them the rest of your life. Sooner or later, even though you do not put up with sin, and even if you have to, you, you'll you testify against them because of their sin, but at the same time, can you love that person? And folks, until we can really care about the person, then we're not going to get over the bitterness and the hurt. Now, there again, there's all that in between about justice and love and all that, and that's the big conflict. But if I love the Lord with all my heart, can he give me a care, a caring attitude? I think of, uh, there was a, Pappy Boyington was a, uh, they called him Pappy because he was a little older, but he was a, a World War II ace, uh, which was, I mean, he, he shot down more Japanese planes as a Marine than I think anybody else in World War II. But he was captured toward the end of the war. And, oh, he hated, in the, like so many people, the Japanese internment camps. And he hated what they did. But the one thing he noticed was he said, you know, I know the war's going to be over soon, and I'm going to go back, and I've got a home. I've got people looking forward to, to being with me. These poor guys here, when they go home, that's all bombed out and everything, so they, they let them enjoy what they've got right now. And actually, he started liking some of the guards that were treated him so bad. He wasn't even saved. I'm thinking, you know, folks, that's the way we should be. 
this whole world's not home. I'm passing through. This is the only heaven that some of these poor turkeys will ever have. Let them enjoy it. Let them have it. This whole world's not my home. I'm just passing through. Now, am I totally there? No, I struggle with that. And don't tell me you don't. Amen? <laughs> or owe me? And so we see that these are. this is the battle that we have. This is the the struggle that we have against the flesh and the spirit. They war one, one with another. So Jesus' reasoning there is that uh, it's very easy to love those who love you. The publicans do that. I mean, uh, uh, the Satanists get together and love each other. They hate the world. They hate everything, everything about it. Uh, you know, the thieves get together and they get to have a good time together. But... Uh, do we really love those who are a little different? Do we really care about those who we disagree with? Now, there again, you know, that's, we're not saying that you don't stand up for what's right. You don't uh, uh, just say, okay, run over me, and whatever your opinion is, it's fine. No, we're not saying that. But can we learn how to give loving responses to the negative things in our lives and to the negative people in our lives? And notice, as children of the Father, we are to show the love of God as he reveals his love toward us. And of course, but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So aren't you glad God loved you in spite of who you were? Aren't you glad that God saw you as a poor, wretched, miserable soul that needed salvation? And as a result... God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son that if you were the only person in the world that ever sinned, then he would have died for you that you could have eternal life. What a blessing that is to know that God made a way for us to be saved. And as a result of that, you know, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Read, uh, it's great to read 2 Corinthians 5.17 where the Lord says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But then he says, as a result of that, we have a ministry of reconciliation. Paul says he had it. And then, of course, he said that he has committed unto us a word of reconciliation. Folks, that's our message. We're to tell the world how to be saved and how to escape the wrath of God and how to experience the love of God. Because if God so loved the world, should not we so love the world that we would give, that we would give up our rights, that we would give up our feelings, our reputation in order for God to work through us? And this last passage that we have here, First uh, John four, twelve through 16. No one has seen God the Father at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected. There's that word again, the standard, something that we'll never reach. First Philippians, Philippians 1, 6, or 1, 7 says, 1, 6, I guess, it says um, that um, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So God who has started working in us, folks, that's going to be a lifelong ambition is how do we keep loving in an increasingly negative world? 
I want to be a man, and I've noticed this in my ministry. As people get older, they either become sweeter or more bitter. And I don't, all of us don't like being around bitter old people. And of course, if you're 20, a 40 year old is a bitter old person, you know, but, uh, or whatever. But we don't like to be around angry adults. We just don't like it. Or you see people that have gone through the trials of life and the trials have just squeezed out the sweetness in them. And they become sweeter and sweeter. Oh, they've got their hurts. They've got their tears. But something about them. Because God is working in their lives. He which hath begun a good work in you is going to continue. And oh God, increase our love. Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And so we see that he says, uh, by this we know that we abide in him. And he and he is. Because he has given us of his spirit. There again, what is the fruit of the spirit? Love. We know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. He that, abideth, he that loveth not his brethren abideth in death. The idea then is we're separated from God if we have a hatred toward other people. It hampers and it is even a good sign sometimes of those who don't know God. So we see, oh, I don't want to go to church anymore. I'm just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, do you know that the Lord is your Savior? Um, yeah, I'm saved. How do you know? Because, well, I hate Christians. Well, wait a minute. Something doesn't jive there. We know that we love the brethren. Why? I mean, we know that we pass from death into life. Why? Because we have a love for Christian people. And, of course, as a Christian, we have to learn how to love unsaved people. But notice he says that he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son, the Savior of the world. Whosoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. There's that confession, his total commitment. And he in God. And we have known and believed the love of God for God, the love that God has for us. And there the definition is, God is love. That's his primary attribute, is love. And so to learn God, to learn about the Lord is to learn about love. To know, love the Lord with all our heart is to learn about his love in his heart for us. And so God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Oh, Lord. The Lord Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. We abide in his love. We abide in caring for others. We quick to forgive and quick to bless. There again, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We're not saying... And the Bible never teaches that you just become a doormat. But it does say that there is a strong love of God that can flow through us and touch and save the lost and dying world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, that 
And you so loved us that you sent your only begotten son. And that Jesus showed how he loved. How that even when he was rejected by the rich young ruler, Jesus looked at him and loved him. How that whenever he was ridiculed on the cross, he loved those that person who ridiculed him and saved him. We thank you, Lord, for your example. And Lord, uh, that goal you have set for us to be perfect as you're perfect, there's no way that we could reach it outside of the Spirit of God indwelling in us. That supernatural power, that love, that sound mind that you give to those who will trust you. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord. Fill us with your love. Teach us the wisdom in dealing with a, a spiteful, hateful, hateful, rebellious world. Help us, Lord, to uh, hate the sin and yet learn how to some way separate the sin from the sinner. And Lord, when our passions overtake us and the negative feelings come up, oh, may the love of God supersede and may we remember how that you loved us. Oh, Lord Jesus, May our lives be characterized by the love of God the Father in our hearts. That we would want to be like you in pleasing our Father in whatever we do. For we pray in Jesus Christ's precious and wonderful name. Amen.